Go with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, just as you're turning there, a couple of announcements. First off, we do have prayer tonight at 7 o'clock at the church, okay? So you're welcome to come join us, and the air conditioning will be on. So it's going to be like a refuge to come to the prayer meeting, okay? So I encourage you to come do that. And then um, the other thing is, is uh, Wednesday nights, we're wrapping up our Wednesday nights for the summer, but um, this week we're going to do a barbecue here on the property, and uh, the church is going to supply hot dogs and hamburgers, and we encourage you to come out, bring a salad to share. We need you to go to the website and register so that we've got everybody recorded and names down and stuff and so that we can plan for numbers okay so if you would do that that would be awesome that's gonna be wednesday night at six o'clock so boy you know what they say about like people sitting in the back rows of church that's what it feels like today this morning it's like all the front seats are empty so the, the really holy people are right here no just kidding so, okay, cool, sweet. You've got your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's, uh, we're going to continue on our series. If you're new with us this morning or uh, joining in, uh, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Samuel. Amazing account of the history of the people of Israel and God's work in them and how their kingship was formed. And we've seen this first king come on the scene, King Saul, and we're going to continue through this Bible account story. So let's just pray as we get into God's word this morning. Lord. I just thank you for everybody here. I thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you speak to us through the word of God. And our desire is to hear what you have to say. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be soft so that your word that you said is like a seed in the ground would go into our hearts and bring forth fruit and life for King Jesus. And so, Lord... Would you be glorified as we consider the things that are in your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is the third chapter of a series of uh, scriptures that tell us about the account of King Saul and in particular the failure of his leadership. He was the people's choice. Remember that about Saul? He's got everything going for him. He started off so well. He's uh, good-looking. He's physically fit. He quickly became a military leader. He was counted as a prophet. He was anointed by Samuel. He was chosen um, by the Lord, by God. But the introduction of Saul, what we've seen is this about him, is that he was the people's choice. This was not the man God had set his heart upon. This was the man the people wanted as their king. And so God said, okay. I will give you the king that you desire. And so what we've begun to see with Saul is this, is that there were early signs that things were not going to be okay with him. Things were not going to be okay with his leadership or with his character. The cracks are beginning to form, and we've been seeing this. And now it's like erosion here. In this story that we read, it's gonna, they're going to open right up into crevices, fissures into this guy's life. We're going to see what's going on. His life is like a a sinkhole that's begun to open up. And this account of him is, is, is quite tragic. And so it's important to the account of Saul in terms of our understanding and our applying it to our lives to, to recognize this, that um, the spiritual picture is that Saul is a picture for us of the man of the flesh. He is a picture of what is in each one of us, in our hearts, what our hearts are like without the Lord. He is a picture of what happens 
when we're ruled by the flesh rather than by the spirit, by the carnal life rather than godly desires. And so what we're going to see about Saul is this, and as we've been seeing, is that Israel needs another king. We need another king. We need the king of God's choosing. We need the ruler of God's choosing. We need to be ruled by the one who is the spirit-empowered king. And we need to follow him into his kingdom. And so the kingship of Saul, for the sake of this story, I want to just qualify this for you. It has to fail. It actually has to fail because we need to see his failure so we'll look for the correct king. So as we read it this morning, boy, we we need to just know that this guy is supposed to fail. Okay, so check out 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. This is brutal. We're going to talk about this. He says, do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So this this is incredible. You read this, this is like, this messes with me. I don't know about you. It should mess with you. It should disturb you that this is the instruction and this is the command. And Samuel brings this message from God. And here's the message. He is going to punish this group of people called the Amalekites for their treatment of Israel after they first escaped from Egypt. And this is both terrible and somewhat sort of beautiful in a sense. And give me a moment to explain that. I guess in a sense, it's beautiful for Saul because God is so gracious. God is so gracious and so forgiving that when we fail, he always brings fresh opportunities to do what's right to experience his forgiveness, to have new opportunities to serve him and to honor him. And so in this sense of beauty, this is an opportunity for this man, Saul, to honor the word of the Lord, to do what's right, to follow the instruction of God. And Samuel has already announced this about Saul, that the kingship would be taken from him. But that does not stop the Lord from sending the prophet, sending the man of God, to share the word of God with him and to tell Saul, there is another opportunity for you to do what's right by the Lord, to be wise, to be obedient, to have success. But here's the thing, qualifier, you know this if you read the story, Saul's going to do what? He's going to fail. He's going to fail. And this is the tragedy because uh, there comes a time and, uh, in life when poor decisions can destroy you. And so what that tells us this is that there is always a need to take advantage of the opportunities that the Lord provides for us. Opportunities to listen to his word, to act in obedience. We always want to respond to the gracious hand of God. So the command is this, to battle with the Amalekites. Now Israel has this incredible history with the Amalekites and I want to remind you of it as we read this story. It goes way back to the Exodus account that when Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery after 400 years in the land of Egypt, and they crossed through the Red Sea and were wandering in the desert on their way to the promised land. The first people that attacked them when they were set free was the Amalekites. 
So the command is to battle them. And I want to remind you, back in the account of Moses, it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. Israel had just experienced the miraculous provision of water from the rock. They had tasted, so to speak, of the things of the Spirit. And then the Amalekites attacked. And Israel was led into, remember this? Israel was led into battle by Joshua. Moses oversaw everything from the mountainside above the the valley below where the battle was happening. And remember, every time the hands of Moses began to come down, Israel would begin to lose the upper hand on the enemy and the enemy would gain control. But then when Moses would raise up his hands, the people of God would gain victory over the enemy and he'd hold up the staff of the Lord. So Moses, the, he sat on a rock and Aaron and her gathered around him. They, they held up his arms and the children of Israel, led by Joshua, defeated their enemies, the Amalekites. Now, here's the thing. That's Exodus chapter 17. Here's what I want you to see about this in terms of the spiritual picture of it. The Amalekites or doing battle with the Amalekites is always a picture of God's people battling against the flesh, against their own carnal, worldly, fleshly nature. And this is crazy because what we have is we have Saul in this story. He's the king of the flesh. And he's going to do battle with the Amalekites who are also a picture of the flesh. You can see this. This is going to be a disaster because the king of the flesh is not going to be able to defeat these people. Nor is he going to want to. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, we actually read this. That Amalek, the Amalekites would attack the Israelites. As they were traveling through the wilderness, they would attack them from behind. Like a pack of wolves. They'd try to pick off the weak people, the tired people, the weary people, the ones who had been sitting out in the sun roasting. And they would try to pick them off when they were weary and faint. And, and so Moses recorded that God would eventually bring judgment against them and that he would not forget that this happened. And so we have here this, this picture of fleshly battles. And this is, you know, how the flesh works. It exploits areas of weakness in our lives. It wears us down where we're weak. It harasses us when we're faint. And when we've been wandering in the wilderness and rather than dwelling in the land of promise, when we depart from the spiritual land of milk and honey, so to speak, and we go to the land of wilderness, wandering where it's dry and it's weary, the flesh will do this. The flesh will rear its head and it will come from behind and attack and try to pick us off like the Amalekites did to Israel. So the Lord said many generations before, to Israel, I'm not going to forget that this happened and the time will come when I will, he actually said this, I will blot out the memory of Amalek from history. So we have here this picture, fleshly king Saul is going to fight fleshly people, the Amalekites. Fleshly king versus fleshly enemy, and that's never going to lead to victory. Look at, I just want to help you with that. Look at, for our lives, battling the flesh with the flesh doesn't work, Right? Paul said that, that in our spiritual battles, we battle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and power. If you try to battle in the flesh, you will not gain victory by trying harder. Trying harder does not work, you know. There's those religious practices that we see throughout the world and sometimes has even been in the church over history where, where people injure themselves and take whips and whip themselves and self-flagellation and all the different things that people will do to try and harm themselves to work out their fleshly 
actions. But it doesn't work. Does not work. Victory comes. What we see in the word of God is this, is that victory comes through submission. Victory comes through the grace of God. Victory comes as we submit in the spirit to King Jesus. And we rely on the spirit and we battle in the spirit by the grace of God. But when, when we battle fleshly desires with fleshly efforts, we will fail. And, and this has to happen so that we'll learn to depend on King Jesus. Just like Saul has to fail here so that we see the right king. Now, I would say this. You know, when it comes to sin... I have never gained victory over any sin area in my life by trying harder. In fact, what I've found is I fail when that happens. I actually fail. And the word of God tells us it's the spirit of the Lord who brings freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So it's the spirit of God that brings victory in our life. And so... That's where we have to learn to depend, but we're going to see f- this picture of a fleshly battle. So the Lord says to Saul, wipe this enemy out. Now, doesn't that seem harsh? It is harsh. It seems super, super harsh for uh, us to, to read that. How could God command such a thing, right? That's the question we ask. Our God, God is loving. God is gracious. God is forgiving. How could he command such a thing? And this isn't just like a... The spiritual application as we read this, this is people's lives, men and women, children, a nation. So what do we do with this? It's like good to ask these questions. What is it like God commanding this? Is he commanding like an ethnic cleansing here or what is it? What, what is he doing? Is that what this is? Well, I want to tell you what this is and we have to get this right. We have to get this right, or these, story, these, these biblical accounts get very difficult to understand. This is an act of judgment by God. This isn't him picking on a people group. This is him bringing judgment against sin. Judgment comes against the Malachites, not because they're Amalekites. Judgment comes against them because they're sinners against the living God. And you read this, when you read Bible accounts like this, this sense of alarm grows inside of you. You're like, what is God doing? And I want to tell you that you should be alarmed. That is the whole point. When you read this, you should be shocked. You should be alarmed. This should really bother you. It should. But it shouldn't bother you because you think God is unfair. God is not unfair. God is fair. God is good. God is loving. God is gracious. God is faithful. You should be alarmed because you have to put yourself into the story. The justice of God, because God is just, it demands, his character demands that he deal with sin and judge sin. You know, we're not Amalekites. We're Canadians. (laughs) Cooking ones. Uh, but like the Amalekites, we have something in similar, something similar. And that's this, that we sin, that we're sinners. And God judges sin. The Lord is the judge of the whole earth. And his word says that he will do right. He will bring righteous judgment. And so the answer is this, or the question might be this, sorry, is will God do what is just? Will he do what is right? And I want to say to you, yes, he will. The Lord is good. 
The Lord is just. He will do what is right. And his justice demands this. He will judge sin. Now, the destruction of this people is really, here's what I want to point you to. It's a picture of what humanity deserves and will face. The Bible just tells us that the wages of sin is death. And when God's judgment comes, there's nothing left. He brings judgment against sin. But I'm thankful that his word also tells us, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That there is forgiveness. So when we read this, I mean, it doesn't, even when we know the application of the New Testament and that Jesus came to save us from our sins, I mean, it doesn't lessen the alarm, that, that when the shock when we read this. And I don't want to lessen it. I don't want to try and soften this up. That would be to deny what it says. Look at I want to tell you this. God's intention is this. He will judge sin. And this account points us to the fact that there will be a day of accounting. There will be a day of judgment. A judgment. And Saul, as we're going to see here, is a problem when it comes to the Lord's judgment. Saul is a problem because a fleshly king cannot defeat a fleshly enemy. If you and I are going to escape the judgment of God against the flesh, then we need another king. And this text is helping us look for that king. What does he look like? Who is he that we should be, look for, we should be looking for? Because we can't be ruled by the flesh. We need a spirit-led king. We need God's anointed choice. We need the Lord to send us one like David, who we're going to see next week when he gets anointed. We need a king whom God has set his heart on. We need one whom God has set his heart on, one will who will be obedient to the Lord, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, this text shows us we need Jesus. We need King Jesus. Because only in Christ can, be, can we escape judgment. There is only one who has borne the wrath of God. There is only one who will lead us to victory over the flesh, and it's Jesus. He must rule, and Christ will rule. Only Jesus. And so as we read this, what I want you to keep in mind is this, is that it's, it's pointing us to the fact that there is a day of judgment coming, and if we are inclined to minimize what we read here, then we'll try to explain it away. Well, this doesn't make me comfortable with what God's asked Saul to do. If we try to rationalize it away or explain it away, that's not to do justice to the word of God. God instructed this and we can't wriggle out of it. We can't wriggle out of this reality. And I would say, you know, I think we try to do that because human beings do this. We always want to minimize sin. The flesh wants to minimize sin. We want to be our own ruler. And that's the very problem that Saul had. It's a human tendency. You know, you read this and it says, well, God instructed these things. And we say, well, there's something wrong with this story. So I have to write God off. But I want to tell you that's a mistake. When you read something in this story and you sense that something is wrong, I want to tell you you're right. There is something wrong, but it's not God. God is not the one who is wrong. It's you. You're the one. 
you're the one in the wrong. Don't write off the word of the Lord. Don't write off the word of God because it makes you uncomfortable. It is supposed to make you uncomfortable, and it is to point you to a king and a savior, and his name is Jesus. And it makes us uncomfortable, but I want you to know this at the same time. The Lord sent Jesus to save us, and my iPad just went, I'm overheating. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Blake, I'm done. Can you grab me my phone out of my pickup truck? All right. Okay, I'm going to open my Bible and not look at my notes now. I had slight concern that might happen. Okay. We're going freestyle. Thanks, man. You guys give me one sec. Anybody else overheating besides the iPad? And my phone has 6% battery. (laughs) Love it. Sweet. So we read this in the word of God, and this makes us uncomfortable. And I want to just tell you that that is supposed to be the case. That is supposed to be what happens. And I just want to tell you that something's, when you read the word of God and you sense something's wrong, don't write off the Lord, know this. There is something wrong, but the Lord has sent Jesus to save you. And what's wrong is you. The problem is not with the Lord. The problem is with us. And that's what all of this is illustrating to show us. The word of God is a mirror. What it's actually doing is it's pointing you to your own heart and it's helping you understand the the work of the Lord and what God wants to do. So let's read on what happens here. It says this. So Saul summoned the people, verse 4, and numbered them and telling him, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down, among, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite. That just to give you a bit of reference to who these people are. So verse 7, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, which this just sounds so promising, so wonderful. Here it is. He's defeated them. He's obeyed the word of the Lord. He gone, he's gone and battled with them and brought victory. But verse 8, let's see what happens. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the very best of the sheep and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves and the lambs, all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So something's missing here. And what's missing is this on the part of Saul is obedience to the Lord. 
The king of the flesh has failed to completely follow through with the instruction of the Lord. And it's very selective. That's what we read here. What Saul does is very, very selective in what he allows to live and what dies. And he's obedient in terms of everything that he would count worthless. In terms of everything that he would decide didn't have value, that was despised in his own eyes. But all the things that he thought was good, all the things that he thought was best, that which he would count as good, he made the choice to allow it to, to live. And so I just want to point this out about Saul here. This is not a righteous action in doing so. Saul's obedience isn't real. It's not real. He let Agag live. This king, he let this Amalekite king live. And I have to tell you, this is what actually cost Saul his life. At the end of his life in the book of 2 Samuel, when he's in a battle with the Philistines and he's been injured by the Philistines and he pleads for a stranger just to take his life. Do you know who comes upon him? Happens to be there. A descendant of Agag. An Amalekite. And he killed Saul. Lost his very life in that. Are we good there? You got a bad? I, I think I'm okay, Flake. Well, 3%. <laughs> Preach fast, right? That's what you're all thinking. It's hot. So here's Agag. Agag's allowed to live. He's got him in chains, though. So it's like, well, you know, I've let him live, but he's in chains. I've got him under control. I've got him under control, but the mistake is this, is that as he let Agag live, he let others live, and it reproduced. That's what happens when the flesh is allowed to live. It will reproduce itself, reproduce another fleshly tendency. In fact, 200 years later in the time of Esther, someone would come from this Amalekite group by the name of Haman who would also plot to take the lives of Israel. It was retribution. So Saul in his disobedience has caused something generational to happen within the nation. And, and it's just this picture for us with letting them live that the flesh can't be controlled. You can capture the king of the flesh. We make this mistake all the time. We think, well, I've got that sin area and it's under control now. I'll just, you know, I can keep it on a chain and yank its chain as I need to. Look, at you can't let the flesh live. It has to be put to death. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret, if you got a pen, you can underline that word regret. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Now, that term regret, that's a, that's a human term. It's an interesting term to hear the Lord say that to Samuel. I regret. What? Lord, you have regrets? You have regrets. It's grief from the Lord. That's what I want to tell you is that this is grief from the Lord. It's not repentance. It's not the Lord saying, I did wrong. I never should have done that. He's just saying, I'm sorry that it's gone this way. I'm disappointed that it's like this. This is grief, not repentance. God is not regretful in, in, in human terms like we might say. He didn't make a, a human decision and then experience human regret. No, what the Lord is experiencing is sorrow for his people. I regret that I made Saul king. And there's a beautiful response from Samuel here. He's angry, but in his anger, what does he do? He's driven to seek the Lord. 
to seek the face of God all night. It doesn't drive him. His anger doesn't drive him from the Lord. His anger drives him to the Lord. Now, verse 12. I'm going to go quick here because it's hot. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, come to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. So here he is. Now Saul, he's just so feeling so good about this victory over the Amalekites that he's even built a monument unto himself at Mount Carmel. Okay. Verse 13. Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed be you, sorry, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what is all the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? <laughs> this is the comedy of the scriptures again here. It's like the kid with the baseball bat, you know. You ever do this? I actually, I actually have this memory from my childhood where I found an axe at my grandpa's house. And he had a nice tree. I guess it produced apples. I didn't know that. And I went out in front of his living room. Well, everybody was in the living room sitting in there having a nice family time. And I raised the axe to cut down his apple tree. He saw what was coming and he ran out there and stopped me. <laughs> this is like the kid with the baseball bat in his hand who's just broken the window with the ball. And dad comes out and says, hey, did you break the window? And he says, no, dad, what are you talking about? This is, this is Saul here. He's got the bat in his hand, so to speak. There's no, there's no accident going on here. The evidence is all there. The bleeding of sheep is there. They've been allowed to, to live. And this is, this is Saul, and this was his intention. He did it on purpose. He picked the window he wanted. He broke some of the windows, cut down some of the apple trees, but he kept the ones that he wanted. And the bat is in his hand, so to speak. The axe is in his hand. What's that bleeding I hear? Verse 15. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. The people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest devoted to destruction. So it's like, seriously, Saul, you're going to sacrifice this to the Lord? This is like, you know, he's trying to make his disobedience into something sacred. We do this with sin. Say, well, you know, Lord, I, you know, I, I had good intentions. I, I'm going to, you know... I, I, I stole this money, but, you know, I'm going to tithe on it. <laughs> That's the idea here. That's the idea of, of Saul. It's sin. And Samuel has to say to him, don't try to make sacred that which the Lord has called sin. Call it what it is. But our flesh does this. It always wants to justify. Verse 16. And Samuel said to Saul, stop, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you were little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And then Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of, the Amal of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, it was the people, the people took of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So here he is, Saul still saying, I obeyed. 
But I hear sheep bleeding. Well, I obeyed. I, I did what the Lord asked me to do. It was the people. He, he passes the buck, passes the blame. Let's read on. Verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as sin of divination and presumption is as of the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Crazy. The prophet says to him, the Lord desires your obedience, not your sacrifice. You know, part of what our flesh does is this, is it's trying to negotiate with the Lord all the time. Well, I'll give this much, Lord. I'll give you this. I'll give you this. Uh, I'll sacrifice here. I'll give over here. I'll attend church here. I'll do this here. And we try to get ourselves in a position of favor with the Lord. But what the Lord wants is just our obedience. And it's crazy. But Samuel says this, that divination, er, rebellion is like divination. He says rebellion is like witchcraft in the eyes of the Lord. That just means this, that you'll decide what that is, occultic practices, is that you will decide that you're going to be the divine. You'll decide the word of the Lord. You'll decide what is good. And what the Lord desires is obedience. And it's an important lesson for us that sacrifice is not a substitute for obedience. Verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and I obeyed and obeyed their voice. Now here again, this, this sounds like repentance, but I'm not going to give Saul a break. This is not repentance. It's not for real. We know this because of what he says next. He says, I feared the people. He, he's making excuses, but it's not real because Saul wants to save face. He's worried about his reputation because that's what the flesh does. He's king of the flesh. The flesh wants to please people. The flesh wants to look good in front of people. The flesh wants to save face in front of people. Verse 25. Now, therefore, this is Saul. Please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. This is very serious to the Lord, just like our sin. It's totally serious. It's got to be dealt with. Saul's disobedience, God is not playing games here. Verse 27 as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to your, a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Can you imagine the drama here? This is a lot of drama. The prophet of the Lord spinning to go away. Saul reaching out, grabbing his cloak, getting torn. And, the Lord saying, and Samuel saying, The Lord's torn the kingdom from you. Lots of drama. Verse 29. And also... The glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. You might want to underline that word again, regret. For he is not a man that he should have regret. I like this from Samuel. He says, the Lord doesn't have regret. The Lord has no need of repentance. The Lord doesn't change his mind. 
The Lord doesn't say, oops, that was a mistake. I took the wrong path. I better turn and go another way. I, I should repent. The Lord never makes that mistake. He doesn't do that. God does not make mistakes. Verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Now, this is crazy. If you just stop and read this for a second, what you'll spot is this, is that he says, come and worship with me. Saul says to Samuel that I may bow before the Lord your God. Something has changed in the heart of Saul that he does not say the Lord my God. He says the Lord your God. Help me save face in front of the people. Let me bow down with you before the Lord your God. Saul's main concern is his standing before others. He clearly does not get how serious this whole thing is. He's just worried about his reputation. Verse 32. Then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. This is brutal. <laughs> this is brutal. Agag's like, he's happy. War's over. It's like, hey, can't we all get along? You know, I'm the king of the flesh. You're a fleshly guy. Like, we can make this all work, you know. The battle's over. We can just, you know, get a working relationship with one another here, and it'll be okay. And Agag's confident that he's going to live, but Samuel struck him dead. And he's a, he is, again, an illustration of the flesh. And what cuts it to pieces? The word of the sword, which is a picture of the word of God. Hey, we'll read right to the end here. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. There's that word regret again. You can underline it in your Bibles. It's worth doing that. You know, I, I just want to bring a quick application for you this morning, twofold. The first, again, is this. You know, as we read the word of God, one of the temptations is this, is that we would judge God, that we would judge the judge, that we would question why God would give these instructions or commandments regarding the Amalekites. But in the end, I just want to point us to this. We have to read this and come to the conclusion that the problem is not with God. The problem is with our own hearts. The word of God is a mirror. It's reflecting back to you something in your own heart when it bothers you when you read a story like this. And... I would just say this, it's a reversal of roles to think that it gives you the right when you say, I'm not comfortable with this, to judge the judge. God judges sin. That's just the reality. He judges sin, but the other part of that reality is this, is that his desire is always to save. 
His desire is always to work redemption, forgiveness, grace, and mercy in our lives. That's why he sent us the right king, King Jesus. That Jesus would be king and he would be ruler. And you know what Jesus did, of course, the story of the cross? He was judged in our place. He was judged in our place. He went to the cross on our behalf, bore our sin in his body, and God's wrath was poured out on him, and he was judged for the sins of all mankind. And the word of God just tells us this, that if we'll put our faith in Christ Jesus and confess him as Lord, if we'll believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouths that Christ is Lord, we will be saved. Our sins will be forgiven. And at the same time as we know that reality, we know this, that God does not change. His consistency means this, that he will judge unrepentance. His consistency means this, he will forgive anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And as we read about Saul here, Saul was rejected. He was rejected, and the picture for us is this, that the flesh is rejected, but that doesn't mean that God's plan has failed and that there is no hope. God will be faithful to his promises. Next week, we'll we'll see how he sends Samuel to anoint a new king, David, a man after the heart of God. And one day, through the line of David, Jesus will come, the one who will rescue us from ourselves and from sin and from the judgment of God. 1 Samuel 15, the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word this morning. We recognize, God, that many times we come across things that are uncomfortable for us to read in your word. It says something about us, not about you. Because your character is always true. You're always true to your nature, always true to your name. You're not a man that you should have to repent. And so, Lord, we thank you that in this life we know that one thing is certain. You, you're certain. Your word is true. And we thank you this morning that you sent your son Jesus. (laughs) Lord, so that we wouldn't have to try and rule over our lives be little independent, fleshly gods to ourselves, but that Jesus would direct us and guide us and bring blessing and mercy and grace and forgiveness into our hearts and into our lives. And Jesus, this morning, we just confess that you're Lord. You're the king we're looking for. You're the one we desire to serve. We just reject before you this morning, ruling over our own hearts and lives. We ask Jesus that you'd forgive us today. We ask Jesus that where we've been in battles with the flesh and lost, that you would come and have mercy. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us to rely on the spirit, to walk in submission to you rather than fight like Saul in the flesh. May we be men and women whom you have set your heart upon and and men and women who have set our heart upon you. And so, Lord, We thank you for Jesus today. We thank you that he alone is our hope. 
We thank you, Lord, that in him there is peace and grace and forgiveness. And in it we rest today. In Jesus' name.